We're live from Lake Tahoe, Nevada, and welcome to this week's episode of the H Women Podcast. I'm joined by my colleague, Dr. Latmanser. Welcome back on the program. Thank you very much. So as you know, we have had a lot of conversations around metabolic health, metabolism, ketogenic diet, intermittent fasting, ketosis, ketone esters. Those are some of our mainstay usual topics, but one of the missing stories in the world of health that we haven't yet covered is the phenomenon of the coronavirus. A very scary, sad, and potentially globally impactful story here. The latest statistics uh, that were reported recently is that there are upwards of 77, almost 80,000 confirmed cases, a very serious uh, epidemic happening right now. Yeah, I thought that it's worth some time to establish the facts, to find what this coronavirus even is, talk about the biology, some of the virology behind this phenomenon, and then explore some of the best practices as well as guidance, and some of the cultural phenomenon around the coronavirus. Again, as I mentioned at the top of the program, we're taping this live in Tahoe. Folks on YouTube can see the beautiful background. So if there are some helicopters or airplane noises or folks having fun skiing, please excuse the background noises. It it certainly is quite um, relevant in today's news and and today's healthcare world, but most importantly, um, where I'm from, Malaysia, we've got um, confirmed 22 cases there. So it's quite alarming. Hopefully everything is under control. Okay, so let's start defining the facts and then move into more of the speculation and cultural observation. So let's start with the simplest question. Sure. What is a coronavirus? What is this thing? Coronavirus is a family of viruses that... Um, are zoonotic, so they uh, get transmitted um, from hum- from animals to humans. The word corona actually comes from crown-like, um, referring to the protein that projects out from the viral envelope. This family of virus can cause illnesses and diseases that is as mild as a common cold or as serious as SARS or MERS. As if you recall from a few years back, there was a SARS syndrome uh, another global scare, and SARS stands for Severe Acute Respiratory Syndrome. And that seems to have a higher mortality rate at this point than the COVID-19 virus. So as you mentioned, the coronavirus is a family of viruses, and the specific coronavirus that is impacting China and the, in, in the world uh, fully is uh, nicknamed or designated COVID-19. So it's a coronavirus identified in 2019. 2019. So the first confirmed case was December 1st, 2019 in Wuhan City in the Hubei province of China. Some slow speculation on where exactly that happened. Was it serious? And there are probably some controversy around whether the health regulators in that specific city controlled it properly. I think at this point, there seems to be a a massive global response. But before, again, talking about the global response, let's talk about specifically about the family and the order and, and the subgroups of viruses. So I know that the specific coronavirus is a positive sense, single thread RNA virus. So let's break that down. What does single thread in the ter- in the context of viruses even mean? And what does positive sense in the terms of virus mean? 
So, so there are viruses that have single-strand RNA, and there are viruses with double-strand RNA. So, in this case, it's a single-strand. Then, positive sense, the RNA acts very similarly to mRNA, which means it can directly be translated into protein in the host cells. Meaning to say that negative sense will need to be changed to positive sense before they get translated into proteins that allows the viruses to replicate. Got it. So. If we think about this in terms of DNA and RNA, and reopen up the high school, te- high school biology textbook, we remember that DNA is a double-strand helix. Yes. And when there is a transcription of this DNA into proteins, the DNA needs to unfold. Yeah. And then an RNA. And it transcribes into RNA. And that RNA is in a messenger RNA that goes into. The organelles, the ribosomes, to produce it into an actual protein. Yeah. So there are three types of RNAs. There's tRNA, um, mRNA, and rRNA. So in this case, uh, mRNA is responsible for protein translation. Right. And positive sense single-strand RNA viruses act very similarly to that. Exactly. So you could almost think about a negative sense. Therefore, is basically the DNA half of the mRNA that is the positive sense. Uh, in terms of a viral, uh, when we're talking about viruses versus something that's a, just the DNA or the chromosomes of a, a, a eukaryote or, 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 or an organism. That's pretty interesting in terms of number of viruses. I mean, it sounds like there likely are just a number of potential viruses, number of different types that might have positive or negative sense. They might have double-stranded RNA. Is there some rhyme or reason or the potency? But, Between why these viruses are constructed in, in in such a way, viruses are, are generally very、um, structurally simple because that facilitates、um, faster and more convenient、uh, replication. Once they infect a host,、um, it can then replicate really quickly and minimize the、um, errors in replication. Therefore, they can ensure that sort of reproduction rates. I see. So almost in a sense that a single strand, positive sense RNA virus, almost a kind of kind of the simplest, most fundamental chunk of information that needs that 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 can exist to replicate.、So. I think yeah. I think viruses in general are very. I mean, viruses in general are simple. The most simple vac,、um, organism that sort of people argue whether or not it's even a living. Organism, right? Yeah, you know, remember those days when they had debates about is it a living organism or is it just a thing that replicate in the host cell? And as a computer scientist by training, it just reminds me of that. These are v- not very long snippets of information. Yes, and they cannot reproduce by in of itself. These are just encapsulated information streams. Yes, that need a host organism to replicate because it it lacks the enzymes, the proteins, and all of the important.、Um, Building blocks for it to replicate, and that's why they live on、um, infect, infecting other organisms.、Right. And talking about that, do you know what's the reproductive number of、um, coronavirus? So reproductive the R rate. Yeah, the R not rate. Yeah. yeah. So、um, I, I saw、um, there is a model built by a professor in the University of Toronto looking at the R not rate, R、uh, not number for、uh, coronavirus, and it's two point three. And that means for every person infected by coronavirus, he will infect 2.3 others on average during the duration of、um, the infection. Yes, 
But I've also heard from, uh, I've also seen a paper published from Los Alamos researchers showing R naught of closer towards six. So my understanding of the situation to not provide misinformation is that yes. the data is still very early, very sparse. Yes. Uh, I would not say that there's a, there's a defined consensus on what the R naught rate is, but the notion of an R naught is important for viral growth from a computer science prediction perspective, but yeah. also very important from a disease virology pers perspective. And another interesting thing is that the 2.3 um, R0 uh, value model does not count for reinfection. So it assumes that once a person is infected, it cannot be reinfected yeah. um, again. However, there have been cases that um, reinfection occurs. So far, they've got quite a, quite a few cases that um, patients get discharged. They are under um, supervision, um, under 14-day supervision. And on the 10th day, they were tested positive again for the virus. That's very frightening, very interesting. Just to make sure that we cover and build up our understanding of the coronavirus and especially COVID-19. So we define what a coronaviruses are. We've defined a type of virus in terms of single strand, positive-sense RNA virus. Can we describe the symptoms? So a lot of the symptoms actually just look like the common flu, yes. right? Respiratory, fever, cough, fever. Yep. Anything that's different from the coronavirus to a flu or a cold, it's important in terms of public information to realize that, hey, there's gonna be people that have flu and cold, and that's a very standard part of our life in, in today. Right? Yep. Every year, millions of people get flu and cold. Yep. Uh, when some of us have those symptoms, how do we tell, do we freak out? What is guidance there? Um, that's a very good question because um, exactly what you just said, um, people might get confused. It might create a sense of panic. Um, so as far as I know, in the US at the moment, only CDC has the capability to diagnose COVID-19. So what um, CDC website has um, recommended is that you get the flu, um, uh, flu shot for this year. And therefore, you know, whatever sort of if you after you get the flu shot and you get some form of symptoms showing up you know that's not due to the flu well i mean in a way so we know, but we do know i mean again we i have to push back on that we, that we do know that the flu vaccine is not 100 effective and, multiple and strains of multiple flu strains, yes so you're so and you might it might be a cold Yes, but I think the best practice is that it is highly recommended to do vaccinate against the flu. But it sounds like the guidance is check in if it's serious and if yes. there's some reason that you've come into contact with someone that may have been in an infected area, that probably you know take bloods to actually you know send to the CDC to try yeah. to, to the, diagnose exactly. So the best practice here is monitor your symptoms, whether it's so clinically severe. Uh, the sort of clinical manifestation is severe enough for you to get hospitalized. Yeah. And if that's the case, the normal, the, 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 the standard of practice now with uh, the presence of COVID-19 around the world is that they will run necessary tests to make sure that it is not indeed uh, COVID-19. So let's go back into the history and the genesis of the disease. I don't think there is yet consensus of how this started but there is a specific date, December 1st, that is commonly cited within media 
uh, are as the first confirmed case. And there are a number of explanations ranging from someone going into a s seafood or uh, wild uh, game meat uh, right. shop. Yeah. And it was some sort of combination of seafood plus bat plus a contact with a human that created this coronavirus. Yeah. That is probably the leading hypothesis, and there's more conspiracy theories where there's a human-made like virus. There's like a weapons virology level lab of the Chinese uh, government that synthesized as a bioweapon. Obviously, much more speculative, much more conspiracy theory. Mm -hmm. Any color? Any thoughts in terms of more information or more data that helps anchor where this originated from? I think currently the data still. Um, is insufficient to conclude where exactly this coronavirus or COVID nineteen is origin uh, COVID nineteen originated from. But in general, we know that since coronavirus get transmitted to humans from animals, we know somehow it's to deal with the the animal sort of kingdom. Um, so a lot of people are also worried if you know that they should be worried if they have pets or if they should be more cautious when dealing with animals in the streets or, you know. So I think the, the best practice there is make sure that if they are, you know, not feeling too well, limit the contact with the pets and also vice versa. To me, using the scariness of the headlines of the COVID-19 to just instill better best practices, mm -hmm. right? Even if this was not some crazy COVID-19 uh, epidemic, it's still probably best practice when you are sick or when your pet is sick to reduce yep. contact and all of that. Also, another point um, that was uh, proposed by CDC is um, not to wear a, a face mask if you're well and healthy, mm. but if you are unwell, uh, do wear a face mask to avoid having that sort of respiratory droplets in the air that will infect other people. Yeah, let's dive into that a little bit. So... One of the interesting phenomenons of the COVID-19 seems to be its resiliency and its durability. Yeah. And I think there's like two dimensions where it seems particularly durable. There's the phenomena where it seems to survive outside of the host much longer than a typical virus. And there's an orthogonal durability where a typical a quarantine period for someone that's suspected to have been infected with COVID-19 is typically 14 days. But it also seems that some frontline clinicians in China are reporting that you need more than 14 days. People are showing symptoms after, you know, 15, 20 days. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, in terms of the incubation period, people um, were, were, people were quarantined for 14 days, but after they got discharged and cleared of, you know, the suspicion of having the virus, they come back and they actually um, got tested positive for um, the COVID-19. So I think they're still collecting data to determine the standard of practice here. Um, but right now, I think the guidelines say it's 14 days. Yeah. But in and, terms and of- This is interrupt or interject there. It could also be the, the confounding factor that maybe that got infected once they got cleared and they got infected. They got reinfected, yeah, it, it, it might so be So it's, it's just like a very tricky the, life situation. There is also one special case, I, I believe um, reading it, um, a, a guy was, like, his lungs are clearly infected yeah. by the um, coronavirus. But it, the test came back negative four times. I don't know whether it's the accuracy of the test or 
it's something else. A very interesting point that you pointed out is the durability of the virus surviving outside of hosts. That allows it to infect people. Um, now, for example, if I take cold virus, it has an average survivability of like, say, 24 hours um, that would still allow it to infect other people. But it seems to us that coronavirus has a longer period. But how long? I think the data still um, isn't enough to determine that, that exact magic number. There's a lot of information yet to be determined and a lot of misinformation out there where a viral R0 factor of 2.3 to 6.5, that's a wide, wide range. Yeah. Uh, and then the durability and the incubation period is a very unknown factor. So I think this is an ongoing live situation. And I guess I could say I'm fortunate, fortunate not to have any family members or close ones that have been directly impacted, but I have a number of friends who have relatives mm. in China who literally have been locked down and quarantined. Yep. And it's kind of a crazy sort of hear their experiences personally because you read the news and you read Twitter and you're like, oh, people are stuck in, they're like quarantined in China. Like, okay, like I vaguely understand that. But then to hear like a good friend from high school or college and saying that their family members haven't left their house in a month. Yeah. It's like, whoa, there's some real real stuff happening there yeah yeah uh, i don't know do you have any personal anecdotes or personal connection to i same fortunately um i don't have any any personal connection with people who are impacted in that way malaysia is is not on a lockdown it has 22 cases you know out of a 32 million population so so far it's still controlled quite well what's more important is what action has been taken to deal with this like what sort of treatments let's definitely talk about therapeutics in development and what that kind of looks like. And let's also talk about the quarantine process mm -hmm. because one could argue that for the first four, six, maybe eight weeks of detecting a novel disease, uh, the Wuhan local government was somewhat slow to react. Absolutely. Um, but it looks like today when you literally have 170 million Chinese citizens on lockdown. You have train stations being shut down. You have airports being shut down. You have local roads being blocked. You see photos where police officers or soldiers telling people to go back into their homes. It's a pretty serious, even impressive response to really lockdown a society. Yeah. Us in America, I don't even know if it's even possible. Yeah. Uh, because we have freedom of movement, so we have a lot more of a open society. I would think it would be, it would, of course, I think our, our our country would rally if there was such something like, you know that serious. But just seeing the the massive national level responses shut down and quarantine yeah. at the 100 million person scale. Yeah. Quite, quite a serious response. And can you imagine the people who are living with um, chronic diseases who need their medication regularly? Like if they need metformin, if they need insulin, if HIV patients need their medications to, to live, um, having that lockdown, what sort of effect that would have on such societies. So I, I really hope that, you know, the authorities and the healthcare providers are, you know, doing their best to, to help these patients as well. From that perspective, I think that puts it into context how serious the COVID-19 virus really is. 
So the response from the Chinese Communist Party, the Chinese government, seems very, very serious. And it's interesting to observe the commentary from journalists from America, from the West, where I would say there's definitely a segment of journalists who treat the epidemic very seriously, uh, really citing the, I would say, the unprecedented nature of the lockdown and of the heroic response of the first responders in China, where they're literally building hospitals, field hospitals in you know seven days or, or 10 days, covering the human story there. But there's also definitely a sub-segment of journalists who make almost light of the coronavirus, where there's comparisons that this is not as serious as even the flu. Yep. And I've also just seen it on Twitter, where my friend who's a tech investor and a, t- uh, a tech entrepreneur, Balaji Srinivasan, who talks about the seriousness of the coronavirus, and there's a Silicon Valley journalist who kind of have turned that headline into, oh, Silicon Valley techies like don't want to do handshakes anymore because they're weird. They're overly scared of the coronavirus. Right. So I've definitely seen uh, both sides of it. Are we overblowing the danger here? Or is this something that we should be considerate about in terms of just minimizing risk? I think we should definitely um, do both, really. Um, we should definitely reduce risks, you know, just the personal hygiene, you know, wash your hands before you eat. Uh, don't just touch random surfaces or after you do it, you know, wash your hands before you touch your eyes or your mouth. Um, but to the extent of not wanting to shake hands, that is a bit extreme because I think we here, over here in, in America, we have the privilege of being more relaxed because of the distance of how far we are from, you know, ground zero. Right. And that allows us to be in more of an observer um, point of view to look at, you know, what is the rest of the world doing um, to handle the virus? What sort of data is available? And we have great institutions, researchers here who are working day and night to to look at, you know, the structure of the virus, to come up with vaccines. Uh, in fact, lately, a spike protein that interacts with the receptor of a whole cell has been discovered um, and mapped out um, structurally. So that's very interesting, you know, in, in terms of creating the vaccines and all that. So back to that point, you know, I would say practice your personal hygiene as usual, as prescribed, um, but no point overthinking or panicking over it yet. Yeah, I would generally agree with that statement. I think have a little bit of common sense in terms of travel, in terms of also, you know, doing handshakes. If you're if it's not necessary to you know, shake hands with visitors that have come from Wuhan, then you probably want to avoid that. Yeah. All right? And I would say that if you are a business traveler and you come across a lot of people, maybe reduce some of that exposure. So I think you're absolutely right. Let's not all go into uh, our Seclusion. bunkers here. Yes, exactly. And hopefully it remains so you know contained so far. I mean, there are cases in America, even in the Bay Area, there's been a few cases, I believe, in Cupertino, and the U.S. State Department evacuated U.S. citizens from Wuhan. They were quarantined in San Francisco, our backyard. I think, fortunately or not fortunately, it seems that the mortality rate has dropped significantly from the initial estimates. Or I think in the initial estimates were upwards of 10%, but it looks like it's kind of stabilized around 2 2.3%. For some reason, seems to kill older men more than other classes or other attributes or other groups of people. Some speculations I've read is that that's a population that has a higher propensity to smoke. 
could also due to uh, smoking having uh, an, uh, an impact, a negative impact on the lungs. And this virus primarily infect the lungs. Yeah. So that may exacerbate um, the, the whole situation yeah. um, if you smoke and get infected by COVID-19. Yeah. So what's the upside here? So I know you reference a little bit of the latest researchers of virologists, folks who are making vaccines and yeah. therapeutics to try to treat this stuff. Yeah. Uh, what's the upshot here? Do note that the, the vaccine is still, I believe it's 18 to 24 months away. Mm. So it's still a while away. But in the meantime, um, pharmaceutical companies and the Chinese authorities are working together to get enough volunteers and participants for um, really acute sort of clinical trials to try different antiviral drugs. Um, one of them is um, Gilead. Um, trying the drug called um, remde remdesivir it's uh, not out it's not approved to be treated yet but now they're trying this in a clinical trial in wuhan itself but they're having trouble recruiting participants um, so they're still trying to uh, recruit as of now and uh, expect it to finish data collection around april another drug that i know that is being tried is um, an anti-flu drug um, called favipiravir Again, not enough data has been collected yet. However, one very interesting drug is chloroquine uh, phosphate that is used to treat malaria. Apparently, for, from a participant size of about 100, 100 or so um, patients, their fever has gone down and their um, period of recovery has also been shortened um, for, before full recovery. Some providers in, in China is also trying out using... Um, antiviral drugs that treat HIV, um, just because from a biochemical point of view, those drugs actually fall under categories of protease uh, inhibitors, integrase inhibitors, or reverse transcriptase inhibitors, all of which really blocks the ability of the virus to replicate. So they're trying a combination, a cocktail of antiviral drugs to see if it helps. Got it. Yeah, I, I, that's... It's cool to see humans adapt, be resilient, and be innovative around something like this, something incredibly challenging. All right, we're taping a quick epilogue as a follow-up to our coronavirus fireside chat in Tahoe. So it's been a few days since we've been back, and the coronavirus topic is a fast-moving issue. So since then, there's been a couple breaking news items. Uh, especially that we're based in San Francisco. It's hitting, you know, pretty close to home that San Francisco City, as well as Orange County, the city government's declared a state of emergency. Yeah. And it was also recently confirmed that there was the first community infection of an American in Northern California where this resident was in Sacramento County. Uh, what that means is that this was the first case of a coronavirus uh, infection in a person uh, that wasn't traveling. There was no direct case of them in contact. And it's mm. something that was, they must have, they, you know, they got infected through the community. Right. Uh, perhaps as a way to follow up here, we talk about state of emergency. Yes. What does that mean? Should people be panicking? Yeah. What, what, what does that actually mean in terms of what a city government does? Yeah, I think, I think state of emergency here, it, it refers to the level of preparedness or readiness of the authorities, public transport, public health authorities, to react if there is a, an outbreak. I think that is always a good precaution to have and there is a very smart move of, of the government and the authorities to put that sort of readiness um, in check. 
Um, but as far as people are concerned, they still haven't issued any um, um, segregation or any lockdown on schools and everything um, until further notice. So, for example, we, we have seen news that um, BART is monitoring the public transport closely. Um, CDC is currently present in the SFO airport to um, look at, to closely check um, and screen people coming from countries which have um, high outbreak of coronavirus. Yeah, my takeaway there is that it's a little bit of a preemptive preparation, but in terms of an emergency, there's no real guidance from government to individual citizens like ourselves to be on quarantine or stock right. up on food. And just talking about internationally here, Italy, Northern Italy, Milan has had some quarantine. Mm-hmm. Um, I know there's like fashion week and there's been some issues with models and gigs right. and jobs. And there's probably some you high, traffic, seen, high human traffic areas. You might have seen some photos of the supermarkets in Milan being stocked out. Japan, South Korea, there's more and more cases. I know that, for example, Tokyo Marathon, mm-hmm. they're only allowing the elite runners. So about 100 runners run, a, run uh, the Tokyo Marathon. There are also new cases popping up by Iran. Um, Brazil so, as well. Brazil. As a 65-year-old man who got infected while he was on holiday in Italy. Yeah. So that was the first case in Brazil. Yeah. But definitely a spread, but it's not all bad news. Mm-hmm. One of the potential upshots here is that WHO actually declared that China is no longer the primary concern. Mm-hmm. So just recently, this is the second day in a row where there are more cases outside of China than in China. So it seems that the amount of infection in China is actually plateauing and stemming off. Yep. So, and the 22 cases in Malaysia has been reported to have fully recovered and discharged. So there are cases out there that, you know, that are able to be resolved um, over the span of the past few weeks. Yeah. So it looks like the situation is getting more contained within the epicenter with Wuhan, China. That's promising. But countries that haven't been at the forefront here yeah. starting to adapt. But I think the upshot is that it is containable. Mm-hmm. I, I, I think, we, it, it, you know, again, this is still on, ongoing development, but it yeah. seems like it is able to be contained. Yeah. And hopefully the all the international governments can move quickly and yeah. decisively to stem it. And I think also probably worth mentioning is that just the overall mortality rates as more and more data has come in. It's actually pretty interesting to look at the mortality rates where mortality for younger folks is yes. much smaller than folks that are over 80. So mm-hmm. it's sub percent chance of dying if you're under 30, 40 or so. And that risk increases yeah. where 80, 90 plus it's closer to maybe double digit mortality rate. So obviously for elderly people, people that have compromised immune systems, again, stay extra cautious. Uh, you have a higher chance of perhaps getting infected as well as potentially having a fatal result from being infected. So be a um, manifestation. Yeah. I think it all boils down to basics, right? It's an infection and it attacks your immune system directly and elderly have got a weaker immune system yeah. compared to younger, healthy individuals. Yeah. So I think one way to think about it at this point where we have more of the longitudinal and mortality rates and infection rates, it seems to be less fatal mm. than a SARS or a MERS, but much more infectious. And I think there still remains the tail end risk where this evolves and becomes extra yeah. lethal yeah. as this thing moves quickly. So again, 
some good news over the last few days as we've gotten back from our initial taping and yeah. also some not so optimistic news with the spread across multiple countries here. That's right. Yeah. I think the takeaway message here, at least from what I see, is is keep the alert level um, with the development of it, um, you know, with the news of what, you know, the authorities, public health authorities, CDC, what are they releasing in terms of what should we be do what should we be doing uh, in our daily lives to to really, you know, adapt to anything that may or may not happen. Yeah. And I may just like bring up to a personal note, anything you've done personally, I know that I've been talking to more and more friends who are either seriously stocking up food mm -hmm. or tongue in cheek stocking up food. Right. So they're hearing a little bit of more preparation as the media headlines are, yeah. think, are treating it more seriously. Right. Where I've just noticed in terms of the headlines, it mm. went from yeah. seeing headlines where it's like, oh, Silicon Valley tech bros are afraid of shaking hands because right. coronavirus is like silly to now like, oh, everyone's going to get coronavirus. Right. So I think the media shift is definitely treated as more seriously as European countries, South American countries, Middle East is getting affected. It's not some mm. little contained weird thing anymore. I think people realize, hey, this is qu moving quickly. Mm -hmm. I would say that I haven't yet started stockpiling food, <laughs> but I have definitely been washing my hands with soap much more and been trying to avoid touching my face. So yeah. I think just been a little bit more thoughtful around just personal hygiene, washing hands, yeah. make sure to wash hands before eating. Absolutely. Wiping but, phone. Yeah. Wiping a phone is a good tip because yeah. that's something that we handle all the time. Yeah. But in um, terms of quarantine, stockpiling, like, you know, I'm still going to the gym, which obviously... You share, know, you share equipment and all of that. So I haven't changed my lifestyle. Yeah. But I've been a little bit more thoughtful and around personal hygiene. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm lucky because I can walk to the office. So I completely avoid um, public transport where, you know, a lot of people, very high traffic yeah. within a very confined space. So I, I sort of dodge the bullet there, sort of avoiding that sort of area where yeah. there's a lot of people breathing the same air. It, because we know that the, the virus is being transmitted by respiratory droplets. Yeah. So the more contained that space is with a lot of people, the higher the chance of transmission. So, But apart from that, yeah, same. There was a much more formal response from the White House where President Trump over the last couple of days made some formal announcements to put Vice President Pence to be the lead uh, coronavirus czar, if you will, and to oversee all the intergovernment agencies to monitor and uh, keep everything up to date. I don't think we want to get too political here, but if you read some of the headlines, there's definitely a lot of political bickering on how Trump is messaging it versus how one should be messaging it. Mm -hmm. At least there's you know some sort of response leadership and, and hopefully the folks in charge do a good job. I know that there's professional scientists yeah. behind at the CDC, yep. at the different institutes that are non-political yeah. and they're professionals who yeah. study this for entire careers. So yeah. uh, I'm confident that the professional class there is going to make sure that things are, are, are kept well and, and done properly. Yeah. Any same. thoughts there? I'm same here. I think um, a lot of people around the world are working towards a vaccine or a cure or a anti antiviral medication. Um, simultaneously um, running clinical trials. I, I have a lot of faith in these experts in you know solving this this COVID nineteen. Like how we've solved all these other different endemics pandemics in the past. Yeah. To stay updated on the coronavirus topic as well as all the great content that Lat and I and Zoe produce with the HVMN podcast and our programming, subscribe, give us a thumbs up, five star review, click the bell. All the typical shout outs, we appreciate it. 
And please do reach out to us on all the social channels. Uh, our main channel is at HVMN. But also feel free to reach out to us personally at my handle, Jeffrey Wu or Lapmanso. Or if you want to reach our producer, Zill, alone and the man behind the camera, you can reach him at podcast at hvmn.com. Talk to you guys all soon.